Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on March 9th, 2014. Today's message is titled, The Simplicity of Faith by Dr. Lyle Schrag, and is based on scripture, Luke chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. If you could turn to your hymn books and turn to that hymn, that's hymn 53, Joyful, Joyful. For those of you that know me, you, you know how much I hate microphones. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Joseph Neely. I am the vice moderator, or I'm serving as the vice moderator and chair of the elders board. Uh, I was asked to make an announcement regarding pulpit supply. Uh, we are so blessed that uh, Dr. Lau Srag has agreed to help us over the short term through, through June and possibly beyond to preach two to three Sundays a month um, to help us while we continue to search for a senior pastor. Uh, pastor Isaac Whiting will preach the remaining Sundays, approximately one to two Sundays a month. Thanks. Thanks, Joseph. Can I ask you to pray with me? And gracious Heavenly Father, Ed, thank you for the opportunity this morning to open your word. We confess before you that we are living in a very complicated world, and Lord, oftentimes the complexity clouds our hearts and our minds in such a way that, Lord, we cannot hear you, we cannot see you. And yet, Lord, you overarch our heavens and earth, and Lord, there is nothing so complex that it, that it can cloud your grace. So I pray that by your spirit, you might be able to speak to our hearts and our minds in a very simple and a very direct sort of way that we might see you. And in seeing you, know what it is to love you. And knowing what it is to love you, knowing what it is now to give ourselves to you wholly and completely, heart, soul, body, and mind. For you have loved us and you have given yourself to us. Lord, we give ourselves to you in this time. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, good morning. As I begin this morning, I'd invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke as we turn to chapter 18 and look at verse 15 beginning there. Now, I'm sure you know by now that this is the first Sunday of Lent. And together we uh, join believers all over the world in a season that is intended to uh, prepare us to fully appreciate the uh, great gift of God's grace at Easter. Now, I realize that for many people, Lent is a time to be able to give up things in your life. And you go through and you try to find those things you'd like to kind of eliminate out of your life, things that get in the way of pure and holy and healthy living. Just this last Friday, I was reading a report in the Barna Research Group of the top 100 things that people are giving up this year. You know what number one was on the list? Chocolate. Sorry about that, folks. That's out of the list, okay. And number two, uh, that was Twitter. I thought that was interesting. Now, I'm not really quite sure how far to take it because number three uh, was school. I think a lot of kids put that down there. Now, in terms of the categories that were there, uh, by far and away, the number one category of all the things that people were going to give up was food. People were giving up dairy products, vegetables, gluten, coffee, booze, as well as chocolate. Now, that may be fine as far as it goes to getting a healthy lifestyle, but the purpose of Lent isn't a matter of giving something up. 
as much as it is to prepare to receive something, to receive the greatest gift of all, and to fully appreciate the gift of God that is found at the cross and at the open tomb in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And for that reason, I've chosen to turn our thoughts in this Lenten season to this very special place in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 18. Now already in chapter 17, we find that Jesus and his disciples are on the final journey to Jerusalem. In verse 11, it says he was on his way to Jerusalem, passing between Samaria and Galilee. And in chapter 18, Jesus makes it abundantly clear what is going to happen when they arrive finally at Jerusalem. In verse 31, you find Jesus explaining to his disciples, We are going to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. He will be delivered, or better yet, the word there translated is betrayed. He will be betrayed into the hands of the Gentiles. He will be mocked. He will be mistreated and spit upon, scourged, and they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. Now, it was abundantly clear that their journey had a purpose, and Jesus knew it. But it was also abundantly clear that the disciples had a clue as to what they were facing. In verse 34, they understood none of these things we read. The, the saying was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend. And knowing that they were not ready, the things that take place then in Luke 18 and then beyond become extremely strategic in the ministry of Jesus as he deliberately then, at that point, turns his teaching to prepare them to recognize and appreciate the wonderful gift that they would receive at Easter. In chapter 18, we have Jesus teaching with a purpose, using both parables and, even more than that, personal experiences, encounters with people. And each one of those things, the parables and the encounters, are like setting up dots, as it were, that would all then be connected when it came to Easter. And when it all would make sense, and then they would know that they know that they know that they know with complete and utter certainty. So as we prepare for Easter, we can do the same. And I'd invite you to join with me into Luke 18 with that sort of intention at heart. Now, as I said, Jesus was using parables and personal encounters to prepare us. I'm going to focus on the personal encounters in, in our times together. And it may be a surprise to you to find the first one here at verse 15, the first of these encounters. There we read... And they were bringing the babies, come on up, uh, to him so that he might touch them and bless them. Now, I bet you you never thought of this as a Latin text. I mean, this is such a familiar scene, isn't it? Just think of all the pictures and portraits you've seen of Jesus. Uh, it's more of a, 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 of a Sunday school sermon or maybe a text for infant dedication. And that may be true, but it is, in fact, so much more. In fact, it is an intensely personal lesson of what it means to have faith and to have a living relationship with God and it is taken from right where you live and you cannot escape it. It comes from the family and from the home. What we witness here is more profound than what you may suspect. I love the way Chuck Swindoll has put it. He said, whatever may be said about home, it is the bottom line of life. It is the anvil upon which attitudes and convictions are hammered out. It is the place where life's bills come due, and it is the single most influential force in our earthly existence. No price tag can adequately reflect the value of the home. 
No gauge can measure its ultimate influence for good or for ill. It is at home among members of family that we come to terms with existence, both here and faith hereafter. It is here at home where life makes up its mind. You can go to school to study biblical theology in order to understand God and his purposes, but nothing, and I mean nothing, can compare to what happens in the home. For it is there where we learn our deepest and most profound lessons, the one that really shape our understanding and changes our lives. And I'm not talking just about how parents raise a child. I'm talking about how we all learn what it is to become children of God. It's a full circle sort of deal where we all come to terms with our existence here and and our faith for the hereafter. And so with that in mind, we go to Luke 18. And let me read that passage again. It's a familiar picture, but it is now coming at you with a twist. People were bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked him. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never enter it. Like I said, that's a simple scene, a familiar one. People are bringing their babies to Jesus. Out of all the pictures that are painted by Jesus, inspired by the Gospels, this is probably the most familiar. You know, the picture of Jesus sitting on the hillside, surrounded by the children. There's butterflies, and there's daisies, and you know, there's no ants or mosquitoes. And, and it's, it's a lovely picture that rests upon the canvas. It's a, it's a gentle picture. But here in the Gospel, it is marred, particularly by the disciples and their attempt at crowd control. You see that when the disciples saw what was happening, they rebuked the parents. They rebuked them. Don't do this. Now, to understand the picture, it really helps to know a little bit of the traditions of the day. It was not unusual for people to bring their babies uh, to a, a reputable authority. And, and that, by the way, is, is the word that is used here. These are babies. These are infants. It's a very special word used to describe the youngest of them all. Now, I put it on boldface for a purpose. They brought their babies or their infants. It was a standard practice in that day for parents to find a, a famous rabbi to bless their babies and set them on their way. And the more famous the rabbi, the better it would be. Mary and Joseph did that with Jesus. Upon his birth, they sought out Simeon to bless their baby in the second chapter of the book of Luke. And the cool thing is that while they wanted him to bless Jesus, this is just a side note, Jesus ended up blessing the blesser even more. Uh, You see that in Luke chapter uh, 2.29. Simeon, when he receives Jesus to bless him, ends up looking at Jesus and says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes are now seeing my salvation, which has been prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and for the glory of the people of Israel. But you get the idea. Babies need blessing. And here, Jesus, having accrued some degree of fame and celebrity, is a prime target for the crowds. And so parents are thinking, if I have the opportunity and Jesus is coming by, I'm going to take it and I'm going to bring my baby. Now, before we get too harsh with the disciples' attempt to run interference on this, please know that they were simply seeking to protect Jesus at this point. 
And the chances are almost certain that they had done the very same thing before. Except this time, Jesus steps in and stops them. Why? Why now? Because he has a lesson to teach. And it is one that is so important, only babies can help him teach it. He needs props. In fact, he needs more than just babies. We read on and find that he needs children as well. Listen to what he says in verse 16. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now, something is happening here that deserves a larger audience. And if you were filming this, the lens is beginning to open up from the babies and now turning to the children. It goes from infant or baby in verse 15, now to include children in verse 16. Let the children come. The setting is expanding and the purpose is now beginning to emerge. The babies are here. Now let's bring in the children because together they are going to serve as an example for all of us of a profound lesson of what it means to belong to the kingdom of God. Now, if you were just to read this on the surface, this verse, uh, you could really draw a very simple conclusion. And it's a good one. Uh, It's obvious that children are very special to Jesus. Is that true? Nod your heads with me if you believe it. Children are very special to Jesus. Let me ask a, a quick question. How many of you came to know Christ before the age of six? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you became, uh, came to know Christ between the ages of 6 and 12? Raise your hands. Okay. Good. Uh, between the ages of 13 and 20? Okay. Uh, between 20 and 30? How many after the age of 30? God bless you. God bless each one of you. A Gallup poll several years ago reported that 19 out of 25 Christians make their decision about faith before the age of 25. And that 76 make decisions prior to their 25th birthday. That is pretty significant, is it not? Jesus said, let the little children come to me, for such is the kingdom of God. You can take the term child and you can begin to apply it all the way through adolescence, from the infancy through adolescence. That's what that word applies to. And in those years... Those years all the way through adolescence, life is galvanized around key commitments. That is where a child is making up their mind about about what defines their character and their direction and also their faith. But please, please, please keep reading. That is not all. Jesus finally then arrives at the deepest point that he intends to make in verse 17. Look what he says. I tell you the truth, and here's another word. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Are you able to follow the uh, progression here? In verse 15, we have infants or babies. In verse 16, we have children. But in 17, we arrive at the real target audience of Jesus' lesson. Anyone. 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 Jesus is aiming a principle right at the heart of each and every person, adult as well as child, each and every person where the kingdom of God is at stake. A few moments ago, I, I read the statistics concerning the age when people in our society 
will consider a faith commitment. And you might be tempted to think that faith is really something only for the young. You may be tempted to think that add a few years to youth, go beyond adolescence, and, and you might as well forget it. Because as far as faith goes, the heart is calcified, and the kingdom of God is receding into the distance, and the further you get in your age, you are doomed. It's not just the years, it's the mileage that will stand in the way between you and God. Oh, contraire, my frere. Throughout the Gospels, whenever you find Jesus having his most intimate conversations, the type of conversations where lives are changed and faith is galvanized, it is precisely because of those years and all that mileage. I have an argument with some of my students who are in the youth ministry program at Acts. They, they kind of teed themselves on the idea that Jesus was a youth pastor, and I look at the Gospels and I say, no, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. By the way, that's not to discount youth ministry. I've got to be really careful about that. Okay. But when you look at Jesus and you see the ministry that he had, it was with men and women of a certain age who have accrued a record of hurt and regret and shame and, and sorrow. It's with adults who find themselves isolated and alone. When you look at Jesus and you see the intimate conversations that he's having, it's with parents who were on the edge, seeing their children at risk. It's with people who have just about given up on hope and can only cry out a very desperate prayer that is repeated again and again. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And they can only hope against hope that he might answer them and that he might care. And I read these verses and I see Jesus. He gathers the children around him and he's saying, of such is the kingdom of God. But I cannot help but think that even as he says that, his eyes are fixed, not on the children, but looking up and beyond and over them and looking at each and every adult in his sight. And he's looking at you. And he's looking at me. And he's doing it with an invitation to resurrect something of a childlike softness in heart that would allow you to come directly to him. You see, it's the condition of your heart is that is the only thing that stands between you and the kingdom of God. I tell you the truth, Jesus says. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will not enter it. Consider the traits of age that are on the table in this little story. There's a profound difference between the the heart of an adult and of a child. Children, well, children tend to naturally receive what is offered as a gift without ever doubting the intentions of the giver. They are able to receive what is given as something which is good, and they accept the gift without thinking of its cost or whether or not they've earned it or they have deserved it. Adults, on the other hand, Adults, independent and proud and guarded and somewhat world-weary and cautious, offered a gift, begin to wonder to themselves, what's the catch? Hardened with traits that create protective barriers against others, they find that those barriers also stand between them and God. Author Debbie, Debbie Zahn illustrated the differences between adults and children when she wrote this. I love this little piece. She goes, when I look at a patch of dandelions, I see a bunch of weeds that are going to take over my yard. 
Kids see flowers for mom and blowing white fluffy stuff that they can wish on. When I look at an old drunk and he smiles at me, I see a dirty, smelly person who probably wants money, and so I look away. Kids see someone smiling at them, and so they smile back. When I hear music I love, I know I can't carry a tune, and I don't have much rhythm, so I sit self-consciously and just listen. Kids, they feel a beat, and they go ahead and move to it. They sing out the words, and even if they don't know them, they make up their own. When I feel the wind on my face, I brace myself against it. I feel it messing up my hair and pulling me back when I walk. Kids close their eyes and they spread their arms and they fly with it until they fall to the ground laughing. When I pray, I say thee and thou and grant me this and give me that. Kids say, hi God, thanks for my toys and my friends. Please keep the bad dreams away tonight. Sorry, I don't want to go to heaven yet. I'd miss my mommy and daddy too much. When I see a mud puddle, I step around it, she says. I, I see muddy shoes and clothes and dirty carpets. Kids sit in it. They see dams to build, rivers to cross, worms to play with. I wonder, she concludes, I wonder if we are giving kids, uh, we are given kids to teach or to learn from. No wonder God loves the little children. Back to Luke 18. On his way to the cross, Jesus is looking above the shoulders of children and he's looking at the eyes of everyone. He's looking at you. He's looking at me. And the question is, do we have the heart to respond? What would it take for us to rediscover what was there in the beginning in our youth? What would it take for us to rediscover that childlike heart? Let me share a story that might help. Years ago, as a pastor, I performed a wedding for one of our church families at Bethany. And as usual, my wife and I were attended to the um, rehearsal dinner. And even more than usual, we were strategically seated by the family to sit right next to the family oddball, um, <laughs> the atheist uh, uncle, <laughs> in hopes that I would cure him. Uh, or at least, <laughs> at least serve as crowd control for the dinner. That's one of the things that pastors end up having to do, and it happens, and it's one of the reasons my wife really loves going to those dinners. During the course of the meal, the guy was, was thrilled at a chance to be able to lob all of his arguments against faith and Christianity at me, and toss them he did with all of his clever questions on the table. You can see now why I lo really love these events. So I did my best to be gracious and to answer his questions respectfully. And, and then my wife nudged me, and she whispered in my ear. She goes, Lyle, this is a God moment. I think he's searching, and I'm praying for you. Thank you, dear. I just love it when she does that. And that thought kind of changed the tone of our conversation, at least on my part. And looking back on the moment through the lens of Luke 18, 17, I can, I can now see how an adult heart was yearning to break through so that the heart, child's heart could emerge. And so as the evening was coming to the end, it dawned on me that the debate was not the issue. The questions that he has had already been answered. He had asked all the questions, and now they were being recycled. And even though he agreed with all my answers, there still stood a wall. And so I did something different. I reached in my pocket... And I took out my pen, a ten, pen very much like this one. <clears throat> and I said to him, I said, you know, I think we're starting to go in circles here with the arguments. 
uh, you've asked questions, I've given answers, and uh, we're, we're not really that far apart, which makes me think that there's something else here that we might be missing, and I think I know what it is. When the Bible defines a relationship with God, salvation as a matter of grace, it is a free gift, and it, that's what it does in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of yourself. You have not earned it or you deserved it. It is a free gift of God. It is not by work so that no one can boast. And because it is a free gift, you are too adult to know how to receive it. Well, what do you mean, he said. Well, then I laid the table, my, my pen on the table in front of him. And I said, this is my very favorite pen. I use it every day. It fits my hand. I love it. And now I am giving it to you as a gift. I want you to have it. He sat there and his eyes went back and forth from the pen to me, to the pen, to me, to me, back and forth. And then I asked him the question, I said, okay, this pen is a gift. What's the only thing standing in the way of it fulfilling its essence as a gift? Trick question, eh? And, and so he, he looked at me and he thought for a second, he said, I haven't taken it. I said, that's right. It's there. It is yours, but you need to take it. I want you to have it. It is a gift. Please take it. Well, the next few minutes were actually quite funny. Um, he, he, he picked it up and he said, there, there, uh, I, I've, I've taken it. And then he put it down almost like it had burned his fingers. It was just really kind of funny to see. And, and I said, no, no, it's still a gift that has been unfulfilled. Please, no, I really want you to take it. Well, he picked it up and then he started rummaging around in his pockets, uh, looking for something that he could give me in return, you know, lint or a handkerchief, I don't know. And, and I stopped him and I said, no, 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 no. This, this is a gift. This is not a swap. This is a free gift. It is not something earned or is it paid for. But I can see how hard it is for you to receive. And maybe that's the point of our conversation this evening. God's love for you is a gift, but it cannot be fulfilled until you are able to step aside from whatever it is that makes you so hard for you to receive a gift. And I really don't know what it is. It, only you can know that, whether it's pride, sophistication, a balance of power. I, I won't even begin to guess. But when you figure it out, just know that while you've got my pen in your pocket, God's gift is still on the table waiting for you. And he picked it up. And he put it in his pocket. Well, that was the end of the evening. And to be honest, I forgot about it. Until one Sunday, about 10 years later, when a, when a man came up to me after the Sunday morning service at Bethany and he confronted me. He said, do you remember me? <laughs> and I said, well, uh, and, and now uh, I apologize, please help me out. Who are you? And he reached in his pocket and he pulled out this pen and he held it in front of me. He says, and I looked and I said, oh yeah, now I remember you. <laughs> And then he told me how he had carried that pen for years, and every time he used it, it made him think. Until one day, walking down the street of Kamloops to an appointment, it hit him. It's a free gift. And all he had to do was take it like a child. He never did make it to that appointment in Kamloops, because he ended up searching for the nearest church he could find, and then he walked in and he demanded that the pastor help him know what to do, how to pray, and how to simply receive what God had so freely given. And 10 years later, he came, he said thanks, and then he walked away. I haven't seen him since. But I did see something that day. 
I saw the heart of a child had broken through the heart of an adult. And in the image of Luke 18, Jesus had gathered that little child to himself, for of such is the kingdom of God. And now looking over the heads of your precious children, Jesus is looking at you. God's gift of love, your place in his kingdom, is there, it's on the table, and is just waiting for you to receive. What's standing in your way? Some of you may be thinking to yourself, oh, it can't be that simple. You're an adult. Something like this is supposed to be theological and deep and profound. It's adult. <laughs> I love the story told of one of the most profound theologians of the 20th century, Karl Barth. When he was asked to describe the most profound theological truth he had ever discovered, he paused and then he began to sing. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Would you sing that with me? Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Of such is the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, once again we confess we live in a complex and a complicated world and so many times our vision is clouded by the complexity and yet you break through from the heavens with simple words that, that are so understandable even a child can know. You have come, you have Come for us, you came to serve and to give of your life for the ransom of many, and you've done it just for us. So we, we come to you now, Lord, and in response to the simple gift of salvation, we simply give ourselves to you, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.